name is Kim Addis. I am the president and founder of Frame of Mind Coaching and the co-founder of the Journal That Talks Back. You have just joined the Frame of Mind Coaching Podcast, and today we're interviewing a very interesting individual who I would call a friend. Uh, someone who, who doesn't know that he's had a pretty huge influence on my life, but we'll get to that in one minute. So I want to stop for a minute and introduce Wally Bressler. Wally, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm actually, you said that I was like, holy cow, I'm hoping it was a positive influence. It was a very positive <laughs> influence. So like, yeah. let's just take everybody back. I used to be in the real estate industry, did a lot of work in that field. And uh, I ended up selling my company um, years and years ago, 2005. Mm -hmm. And Wally and I met in 2006, where I was doing a little bit of uh, consulting. At that point, I had started coaching. And mm -hmm. um, I, I, I don't know how we met. I think we were introduced through... Jay Kinder. Uh, Jay Kinder, that's right. And mm -hmm. um, we got into some really, really interesting and deep conversations very quickly. Mm -hmm. But now it's how many years later? A lot of years later. Yeah, it was like 2008. It was like eight, I think, eight or nine. Well, or maybe 2000. Well, anyway, a yeah, lot of years have about passed. 15 years or so, yeah. Mm -hmm. 15 years have passed. And since that time period, we haven't spoken a whole bunch, but mm -hmm. you did write a book. And I want to just share visually with the audience what that looks like. It's Thank called you. Tragic Hero. And there's a subtitle called Picking Up the Pieces. Yeah. Amazing book. Whoever hasn't read it should read it. So go buy it. Thank you. There you go. Thank so you. you wrote a book. Why'd you write a book? Oof. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I uh, Obviously, you read the book. So, you know, my, my, okay. my life story is it's an intriguing one. You know, not unlike a car crash, you know. It, your people are intrigued by it they want to see everybody live but they're still intrigued by it what do they say uh even morbid curiosity is curiosity right yeah so yeah. so uh so you know interestingly enough, i spent most of my life living in shame trying to hide from things not just from from things like my life but also from people and uh, it manifested itself in some really negative ways and i got to the point where i really needed some help and i you know you read in the book that i was probably very short period of time away from taking my own life and I just was like I I can't do this anymore really painful and um just by the grace of God and you know him reminding me how horrible it was that my dad died and not wanting to leave my four children in the same situation my dad did when he left my brother sister and, and me uh back in what 91 I, I decided I was going to work on myself and you know having multiple conversations and unearthing years and years and years of just things that I had pushed down forever you know I got to the point where I was so worried about what other kind of people were going to think about me you know what if they knew I was sexually abused what if they knew I blew all that money what if they knew I cheated on my wife what if they knew I was a convicted felon right like what if they knew all that stuff it was interesting and I was at a conversation and I just was every day like please don't please don't find out please don't find out it's going to ruin my life it's going to ruin my job and I was sitting on my couch and I just was so weird all of a sudden, like I just got to get, get it out of me, you know what I'm saying? And you just finally realizing that, you know, once you are radically honest, it takes all the power away of everything that you've ever done. You know, it takes all the power away from everybody and anything anybody could say about you, because once you own it and accept it, it's, it's so much easier to deal with. So I got on Facebook and I spent about 17 minutes expewing my story out. And then I 
went on my other Facebook page, then I went on Instagram, <laughs> and then I recorded a video and put it on LinkedIn. I put it everywhere. I was like, you know, I'm just going to yeah. do it. And so people were, were seeing all this and they were responding to it. And I could see the positive impact it was having on people. And I'm like, you know, there's probably a lot of people who have gone through what I've gone through. And I just got to the point where I didn't want other people to have to hit rock bottom like I did. You know, rock bottom is right. a bad place. I mean, it's a good place from the if you let it serve you. But I just didn't want people to do that anymore. So I'm like, you know, I'm just going to I'm telling my story. I'm going to I'm going to let it out there. And I wanted to use it as a way to, you know, to grow my platform, but also to, you know, let people know that it doesn't matter how long it's been since something happened or how bad it was or how instrumental you were or were not in having it happen that yep. there's always time. So let's dig in. What is the story? Like, I know for me, there's a, there are many kind of layers to the story mm-hmm. and there, there are multiple apexes in your story. You know, usually a story has a, a buildup, an apex, and then a conclusion. Yeah. In your uh-huh. in your case, the the story kind of has multiple arches. Yeah, it does. Multiple yeah. moments, and so, mm-hmm. like for me, as I was reading your book, there was one story you told in your book that I was like, "Wow!" Like that just made me boil inside, and it was the story of your birthday. Oh yeah. Um, and like tell like you had a tough childhood you had mm-hmm. a difficult childhood you had two parents who maybe weren't ideal at parenting so maybe you can share a mm-hmm. little bit about what that looked like and start by telling the birthday story okay yeah and and i i just i always preface these comments this way is that most people's parents are not bad people they're just not great parents Right. And, you know, I think we're close in the same age. And, you know, here's the thing, like if your parents were born, like probably between like, let's say like 1900 and 1950, it was an entirely different world back then. You know, children yeah. should be seen and not heard a lot, you know, getting whooped, getting hit. You know what I'm saying? And if you've got an Italian background, I always joke around Italian families, there's three means of communication, food, getting hit and getting yelled at. And so that that's what my life was like. You know, my parents had parents who were italian backgrounds on both sides family from italy on both sides and um but you know my my dad was he was kind of a mess because his mom was not a good person she was mean you know i'm saying i mean she was mean and emotionally abusive and hurtful physically hurtful and so that's kind of how he 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 was you know i'm saying and he had no patience you know was a smoker drank a little decent amount overweight you know very 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 much a perfectionist and so the littlest thing set him off you know i'm saying and I, you know, I, I was there on my, I was about my ninth birthday and um, not many, I didn't have a lot of friends. My kids were over, we were having fun. It was July, it's middle of the summer. So it doesn't get dark until like nine, nine thirty. And I was joking with my dad in front of the kids. And I said, why are you fat? So what I said, not great. Right. But not like, you know, and he grabbed me and he put me in my bedroom. He says, you're going to bed for the rest of the day. And what time and was it at that point? probably two o'clock in the afternoon. And then they basically, he let the kids stay and they had birthday cake and they had the party. And then they were all playing in the backyard and I was sitting in my room watching kids play at my birthday in my bedroom. And I was in bed. So at two o'clock in the afternoon until the next morning at like seven, eight o'clock. That's it. Nobody came and said anything to me. Nobody talked to me, you know, so it was pretty demoralizing. Yeah. Very demoralizing. But it's, it was just, you know, it's par for the course, you know, I just, not that it's acceptable. And I, you know, look, I feel my parents tried to do the best that they could. My dad, you know, when I was three, four, five, six years old, one of the punishments was to be put to bed without dinner. 
Yeah. And that really, that really sparked a fear of being hungry. And man, I, it was the beginning of a 45 year binge eating disorder. You know, binge eating basically is the first half of bulimia. Okay. So basically yeah. it's just, you just don't purge. Right. So binge eating is just, it's kind of, it's bulimic, it's bulimia, but it's just not the, the purging portion of it, you know? Yeah. And so, um, you know, and so I'm at first grade, I think, I don't know if I tell the story, but first grade, it was snack time, very first day of first grade snack time. And I'm sitting there and the kids are getting their lunch boxes off for snack. Back then you got handed out a milk. I got my milk and then I finished my snack, my lunch and my afternoon snack all right there because I'm afraid I wasn't going to eat. Right. You know, then I, I sneaked food and then, you know, it just kind of took off from there. And, you know, because my dad had such a quick trigger, I, I couldn't do anything wrong because if I did anything wrong, even if it wasn't wrong, I would get yelled, I'd get punished, you know, you get hit. You know, in Italian families, you just don't get it with the hand, you get it with the belt, you get it with a wooden spoon, you know, shoes, yeah. whatever. And so, uh, and so then, you know, it was tough because then, you know, at that point, you don't feel like you can go to your parents on anything. And, you know, when, when you hear from your parents, you can't even ask why, because I told you so. If you don't do it, you're going to get hit or you're going to be deprived yeah. of something, right? And then, um, you know, I was sexually abused when I was 10 and then um, found pornography in my dad's magazines when he was 11. And by the time I was 12, I was already engaging in sexual activity, way, way more than any person that age should be doing for sure. Right. And it was bullied the entire time. So basically my self-esteem by the time I was 13 or 14 was nothing zero you know what i'm saying I, I didn't like myself um i actually hated myself i was sad and i think part of the reason my story has apexes is because and i kind of learned this in working with kelly my my counselor and therapist uh you know i was basically overperforming to basically run from the shame that i felt right right does that make sense yeah. so well I, like and again i mean i don't know you super well but i do know you and my experience of you is like this super dynamic, interesting, intelligent mm -hmm. human being, right? Who, I don't know if you were putting on a show, but you were definitely like, you had this uh, element of being able to captivate. And so maybe for you, that translated into performance over the years. 100% um, crafted specifically to protect me. Yeah. And to hide the shame that I felt. I mean, you know, sexual abuse is damaging on so many levels yeah. but most importantly it's damaging at a very deep emotional level just because we're not you know emotionally we're not ready for that sort of thing you know it's a huge huge cause of um of depression and anxiety and sadness and kids like you know when we were kids nobody was talking about sexual abuse in the 70s you no. know what i'm saying nobody was talking about physical abuse child abuse you know alcohol abuse they weren't talking about that stuff and so and who abused you um, an extended family member. Okay. And so your parents Female. never knew. You never said anything. I wouldn't have known to say anything. My parents never said, hey, if somebody touches your body, let me know. Or, right. you know, they never said that. So, I mean, I told my mom when I was 30, you know, and by that time, you know, the, 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 the damage is done. But yeah. what I figured out is that um, naturally I'm an introvert. Because a lot of the things that I do on a day over day basis are very much what introverts do. I would find like I would go speak at conferences or I would MC events and stuff like that. And as soon as they were over, I would go and literally pack my car and go to the movies and sit at the movie theater for three hours and talk to nobody. Or right. when, when I was speaking, as soon as I was done, I would go to my bedroom so nobody could find me. You know, that's just so, but I created this persona to protect myself. So I seemed like a really outgoing guy. Yeah. And, you know, I performed, uh, you know, I performed really well in high school. I got, you know, I was 
outstanding lineman of the year from high school, defensive player of the year for New Hampshire. Right. Went to one of the top liberal arts colleges of the country. I lettered at four years in football mm-hmm. and track. You know, all so if you looked at me from the outside, making a hundred grand by the time I was 28, married four kids. If you looked at the outside, you know, but on the inside, I'm, you know, my addictions to sex and pornography and food and money are slowly killing me. Yeah. Right. So so let's just talk about what industry are you in right now? You're in okay. the yeah. I'm in the coaching industry, the life and business coaching industry. I do support people, a lot of people in the real estate industry because I have so many relationships there, but I'm working with people in other industries now and I'm still doing some real estate coaching, but a lot of what I'm doing now is helping people go and find out why they can't enjoy great lives and and businesses at the same time, right? So you have people who are entrepreneurs, salespeople, sales leaders. And so I kind of looking at my own experience and the things that I went through to heal myself. I mean, I had call reluctance for 10 years myself. And so I work with people who are salespeople, entrepreneurs, you know, sales leaders, and I help them either identify for themselves or the people they're working with why they're not able to pick up the phone, why they won't get in front of a camera, why they don't reach their goals, why they don't stick to a calendar, all those things, those self-sabotage related activities that are, you know, having them live their life and and business fits and starts. Does that make sense? Yeah. So let me ask you a question. You have clients. I don't know if you have a million clients or five, doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. You have some clients. Um, Presumably they know about your story. They have to. That's part of the reason. And that's, I mean, that's really how I, I attract most of them is that I'm, you know, you know, I, I do free trainings for companies and I'm like, Hey, if you want, and, and, and you know, I had the good fortune of coaching during the Great Recession, which is when we met, and um, I, you know, and and so I have lots of experience and strategies and whatnot to help people get through tough times. And so I, I do a one-hour presentation on how to build a, a you know a successful pipeline in yeah. any business. Um, and then I, I part of the number ten and the ten things to do is how to overcome sales car reluctance. I tell my story. I show my prison ID, and then go from there. Okay. And do you get any feedback from people? I do want to talk about prison in a minute, but do you get any thoughts or feedback or commentary or an emotional reaction from people who you are working with? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's the reaction in general? I, you know, it's fun. It's funny. It's interesting. I've been doing this for like three years now, you know what I'm saying? And I get the first negative reaction from somebody just last week at Saw the UX because 99 times out of 100, people are like, wow, you know, when, you know, I can't believe you went through all that. But I'm also like, geez, I was sexually abused. I was verbally abused. I was physically abused. Mm-hmm. I was bullied. You know what I'm saying? And so, right, our brain, believe it or not, our brain remembers everything we ever tasted, touched, smelled, heard, or seen. Every of the five senses, it just it stocks it all. And if it's bad, it gets pushed down. So a lot of times when I'm talking to people, their brains are like, oh, did that. <laughs> you know, and so they identify right. with it. I text messages from people. I got, hey, I need to talk to you. That happened to me when I was a kid. So by and large, it's 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 usually very favorable just because people connect with it, you know? Yeah. And you got a negative one last week. What was the negative I did. one? I did. You know, some people, some people feel like they need to, you know, make an example out of somebody, you know, and mm-hmm. or that they need to, you know, I don't know how to explain it. Like you did something bad and they feel like they have to be the ones to point it out to everybody else that you did a bad thing. I don't know what that's right. called. Like they need to add to the shame. Yeah, right. They, you know, they, yeah. they're piling on and they, like they feel like they're doing their friends a favor. And so I 
you know, these people were supposed to take my class and I told my story. And then, you know, the guy's like, hey, didn't, you know, I don't want to do your class. No problem. And then I find out that he went and not only did he look up my FBI profile, which is available on the internet to look at, but he actually went and pulled the, um, the transcript of my, my pleading with the federal government in court okay. and saw the transcript of everything that I wow. said. Guess no. he was really interested in you. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, he's triggered <laughs> somehow, which is fine. You know, my, listen, I did it, okay? It was part of something where money got taken from banks. My business partner lied on $15 million for the mortgages. I wasn't trying to steal any money, but I was there. And I looked like the other way on things, and I did stuff I shouldn't have done. So even though I wasn't, you know, actually trying to steal money from banks, I was complicit. And then I had to accept responsibility for it, you know? Right. So, you know, he went and saw what he needed to see and heard what he needed to hear. He didn't take, you know, most people call me and say, hey, I saw this. What's the truth here? Sometimes I hear from him and I call them and I own it and tell them what happened. He just chose to be judgmental and make the judgment and run with it. So he said, this guy stole money from this and people lost houses. And, you know, he told the side of the story that he wanted to tell. And so, I, you know, I lost three pieces of business from it. And it is what it is. It's pretty rare. But, you know, look, he's entitled to think what he wants. He can believe right. what he wants. You know what I'm saying? So, it zero yeah. to do with me. He's got zero to do with me. Right. So, got so everything to do with him. of course. So. so let's let's kind of dig in. You ended up in jail. What did you do? Explain oh, no, it in, in a way that people could understand. I, I went to prison. I did not go to jail. Okay. I, I don't know. What's the difference? <laughs> so prison is like state prison or um, like, you know, county jail or something like that. Like, so jail is state prison. And it's, you know, usually in, in that kind of thing, you usually don't end up spending your, your full sentence there, right? You okay. can get up early. They commute sentences all the time. It's usually pretty crowded. Usually there's individual cells you're in right so i went to federal prison i went to a federal prison camp and so for federal prison there's like super max and then there's max and there's um high then medium high then uh low and then there's a prison camp so fortunately and i say fortunately i was in a prison camp no fence around the outside okay and you know you're you're in a you sleep in a six by eight you know cinder block cell it's and there's no door on it it's just an opening you got a bomb bunk beds, a couple lockers, a small little metal desk, <clears throat> but you, you serve on average 85% of your sentence. Okay. And, um, it's a lot different from that standpoint and whatever happens to you on a federal level, usually will stay with you for the rest of your life. State, state, you know, for instance, like federal convicts or federal, you know, ex-felons or felons or ex, what they call ex-offenders. Like I'll never be able to get a gun. I'll never be able to vote. It may be hard for me to get a, um, a passport right at the state level after you've served your time and gone past you can get your gun rights back in the state of texas you know what mm -hmm. i'm saying so it's it's a little it's a little harsher you know what i'm saying as far as the, the punitive uh, effect of it long term so anyway um you know 2005 and 6 i was doing some real estate investing with a kid i knew from high school a guy I mean, we, we knew each other in high school and i wanted to do in real estate investing and he worked for one of the bigger mortgage companies back then and so we started buying people's houses and paying off their debt and helping them get their credit back in order, right? So the deal was, we'll take, you know, we're going to take the equity from your house. We're going to give you money to pay off your debt. You can work on your credit. And then in two years, you take care of your credit. No problem. But we'll give you money back. Well, what happened was, is people were not paying their bills, even though we made it so they could. And so um, my former partner in his inimitable wisdom decided to stop paying the mortgages on their houses. Mm. And even though we helped them, which we did, they were mad because they were going to lose their house, even though they didn't right. know what they did. So they called the FBI. Well, what I found out afterwards is that not only was he not paying their bills, 
but he was going to casinos and he was buying cars and he was giving his family money and he was basically using the money for his own benefit. Right, right. So that's a no-no. And so, you know, in 2008, he called me, he said, the FBI wants to talk to us. And I go, why does the FBI want to talk to us? He said, well, it looks like we did what we were doing was illegal. And I said, you know, Mike, we talked to attorneys and, you know, he's like, so anyway, I hired an attorney and, you know, this was in October, 2008 and went through the entire process and uh, it took five years, but, you know, in August of 2013, July, August, I went up and I got sentenced to um, 14 months in federal prison. You know, my attorney did a great job because when we first started talking, he says, you know, for what you did here, you probably could go to prison for as many as 14 years. Wow. He's like, I don't think you did anything that would would warrant that. But if we miss one signature, if we miss one piece of paperwork, you know, you're looking at 14 years. And I'm like, my kids are going to be adults by that time. You know, I'm saying Mm -hmm. my youngest would have been, uh, God sakes, 21. So I'm like, I'm not, let's not do that. So I went to prison and um, I ended up spending 366 days there. I got my statutory good time. Sorry about my nose here. And, uh, but I didn't get halfway house because the halfway houses are so full. And in 2014, so 366 days later, I, I got, I came home. Okay. So mm-hmm. what was it like to live in prison? You know, in that it was a camp, it wasn't as bad as other places are, yeah. but it's, you know, it's, it's not fun and it's not meant to be fun. You know, in, in the outside world, you're, you're guilt, innocent until proven guilty in prison, you're guilty until proven innocent. So even if like, let's just say like, you know, this stuff gets smuggled into prisons all the time and it comes in through the camp because it's the easiest way to get in. So there's cigarettes, there's alcohol, there's telephones, you know, there's all kinds of stuff you're not supposed to have. So if you're selling, you're called your selling, but if the guy you share your, 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 your room with gets caught with something, or if there's something that's in the shared space, you both go to the shoe, which is solitary confinement until either one person owns up to it or they can figure out who did it. Right. Right. So, you know, and uh, it's it's about 80 percent drug related deals. Okay, The recidivism rate for federal prison for the drug related folks is over 80 percent, 10 percent for white collar folks. And, you know, you you are you know, you had to live in this, this barracks, for lack of a better word, dormitories. And, you know, and there were showers, there were bathrooms, uh, there was a game room, there's an outdoor track, um, some fields and stuff for exercise. And then. You know, there were jobs and most of the jobs played somewhere between 12 cents an hour and a dollar an hour. And you had a job. So, you, you know, they, they turned the lights on at 536 o'clock in the morning. You pretty much had to have a job. They didn't want you just loafing around unless you were injured or something. What like that. job did you have? I got to clean tables in the cafeteria for 12, to 12 cents an hour. So, you know. And, and what, then, what did you do with your 12 cents an hour? Uh, and it was put in my account and was given towards restitution. So, and then, um, you know, you could, you know, Saturdays and Sundays are pretty much open. You can walk around to whatever you want. I mean, you could walk around, do whatever you want at any time. As long as you were done your job, you could do whatever you wanted. You know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, I helped some people learn English. There were some men there that were 50 that hadn't spoken English. Um, did a lot of reading, exercised a lot, lost a bunch of weight and just, you know, bided my time <clears throat> and you know <clears throat> like anything else in life you you get into a routine and just the time passes a lot faster did you do year. any journaling no I didn't in fact you know part of the problem was is that all the problems that I had with the every one of them pretty much was still there when I got out of prison 
Yeah. All the addictions that I still had were all still there when I left because I really didn't deal with them. So what, how did you explain to your kids that you were going to prison? Well, we told them. We and told them. What, what did they say? <clears throat> you said, hi, like, hey, well, kids, were, dad's going to prison. Yeah. So my, my ex-wife, you know, obviously we were not in a good place because I was unfaithful to her and I was going to prison and, you know, stuff for her. And, you know, we took them to a place that we knew they would never go again. So we could tell them the story so that they could never have any attachment to anything yeah. sad where they would go. So we took them to a park. We would, they would never go to again. And we told them we were getting divorced and that we were going to, I was going to prison, you know, but at the time it was 13, 11, nine and seven. So it's a little tough, you know what I'm saying? It, 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 two of them, it really resonated with one of them, my son, kind of the youngest one, seven years old, you know, didn't really make that much. So, you know, they were taken care of financially while I was gone. Um, and, um, it was tough though. I didn't see them for a year. So, you know, so they didn't see you while you were in prison. No. And, uh, my ex-wife was angry at me. And, you know, even though we had made arrangements for them to come see me, she didn't bring them with them, bring them to see me. So it was tough. You know, it was hard. She not bring them with you, with her because she didn't want to expose them to a prison setting or because she, I mean, she never to teach she, you a she, lesson. She didn't come either. I mean, I think partially because she was mad and partially because she didn't think that they needed to see me in that setting. Right. So, so she never came to see you. Nope. Okay, for, but at that point, you had decided to get divorced anyway. Actually, I signed paperwork before I left, and I found out on February 14th of 2014 that I was divorced by an email. And did anyone come to see you while you were in prison? Very, very fortunate that friends, you know, this. you want to find out who your friends are, go to prison. <laughs> right? Get, get terminally ill, go to prison, like be really put in a really bad place, you know? And so, um, yeah, I had people, people, guys from church, my buddies, I, I had people visit me. I mean, you know, my closest friends are people that I knew well that hung around, even though I was a complete, you know, scumbag at the time for a lot of things that I did, you know? So, so, you, so, mm -hmm. so then you got out of prison. Did you, did you see your kids after that? That day. Yep. Okay. And how did that day go? It was, it was odd, you know? I mean, I, they were kind of unsure what to do. They were happy to see me, but they were definitely, you know, they were nervous. They were all nervous. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it, it took, it took a long time to make amends. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like for things to be fairly normal years, you know, cause they were young. And so it really impacted them. Plus their mom had to get a job. I mean, imagine going from a place where your dad works from home and your mom's home all day to, you don't see your dad for a year and your mom works 14 hours a day and you got to now do your own laundry, cook your own meals, you know, uh, yeah. and not have somebody around all the time. They were forced to grow up. Unfortunately, yes. I mean, I, it, yeah. the good news is, is they're all hyper resilient now and they're tough kids and they're super nice. And, you know, they're, 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 I mean, it's, it's, it's served them well since we did the best job we could to resolve things when we got home and Stacy and I co-parent very well now, you know? Yeah. And but what's it, your relationship with them now? Amazing. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. We have a great relationship and, you know, very caring and loving. And we've got a, a Facebook, I mean, we've got like a, a, ch a chat group and we joke around. I just took them all away for four days for spring break. I, I rented a cabin up near a lake, you know, nice. but, uh, you know, it took them a while for give me one of my children it took them over a year to really let me in and talk to me again. Yeah. So it was hard, you know, and then probably up and through high school for two of them. Yeah. So you get out of jail, you go live at your friend's house, uh, mm -hmm. Jay and his Kinder. wife. Yep. yep. They let me stay at his place for a while. Yep. Yeah. How did, like, 
what made what made them feel comfortable with that well i mean i've known jay since uh god 2001 yeah and you know i was you know i worked with mike and, and him to grow their business and i you know we were good friends and um you know they knew that i was a good person you know deep down even though i made a lot of bad decisions yeah heard a lot of people they you now they were loving and caring and so they let me stay with them for four months and then a buddy of mine was a real estate investor in the area and he had houses he bought and he would let me stay in his houses until they sold them and you know at a reduced rent so i could get back to my feet but you know when i got out of prison i had 54 cents to my name i had no place to live so i had to live at somebody's house i you know i'd lost 133 pounds so i had no clothes that fit me Mm-hmm. you know I had a you know I still remember this I, I think I threw the shorts away but I had a pair of shorts and um and I was grateful for it because I had them but it was a pair of mesh athletic shorts and uh the, the the lace that was in it was half a boot lace and half of a of a of a, of a sneaker at least sneaker lace and I had that pair of shorts and a couple of t-shirts and a pair of sneakers and that's what I had you know and I mean listen it, you know I think the thing that people have to remember is that when you make a decision and make a bad decision though the consequences are out of your control Mm-hmm. you know i wasn't thrown into this i wasn't a victim i made some bad choices and that's what yeah. happened so, but you know at the age of what uh some 2014 so it was at 46 46 years old and um no money no house no car no food you know and i had to rely on people for that so it was a very humbling experience you know yeah, yeah. I got my, you know, I so, so now you're on your feet you're yeah. living in your own place yeah 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 I got a great business yeah, things yeah. are going well I mean I'm you know about to finish putting my second kid through college my business is growing and um very blessed my kids are doing well and um you rebounded yeah very fortunately and I would okay. say it's, and it's, you went through therapy yeah I went for trying to think here three years twice a week because the one thing people don't realize is that we, you know, we can't be our own coaches. We can't be our own therapists. We can't be our own counselors, right? There are, there are, we need out, we need external thought processes. We need extra yeah. prompts. We need somebody to give us information that we don't have to help process things. Right. And, yeah. and that, that was a hard thing for me is number one, I had to accept the fact that I did all the things that I did. And then I also had to look at the fact that I could not help myself. So despite being a real estate coach, and a life coach and helping people grow their business and solve problems. Like, you know, I would have conversations with my clients during the day and then I'd have a counseling appointment with Kelly and she would say something to me. And then I would say something to her. I'm like, I just talked to somebody about that today. Right. <laughs> and she's like, you have to remind me, like, you cannot be that way for yourself. You need, everybody needs help. Yeah. And I, you know, Kelly, I, Kelly helped you see the light immensely. Okay. Immensely. She saved my life. If we're being honest. That's amazing. It is. And where did it you is. get the idea to write it? Oh, well, you told me about that, but you wrote mm-hmm. it with somebody named Autumn Jade Monroe. Who is yeah. Autumn Jade Monroe? So she is my ghost writer. Okay. Um, she, you know, I was, I, I was comfortable that I could write my book. I've actually ghostwritten two books before that. And I've been writing for decades, but <clears throat> I just didn't have the time. Yeah. And quite honestly, she wrote it better than I would have ever written it. Yeah. And she really wrote very much in my voice. And so we worked for about three or four months together, maybe five months, and she wrote the book for me. And so I told her that I would give her cover credit because that's what she's trying to do to build her her business. And so, you know, and we're good friends now. She's a good woman. Okay, amazing. Great writer, yeah. A great writer. So I have another question for you, an altogether yeah. different question. When we met, and I don't remember the time frame exactly, 
but you were affiliated somehow with the show, The Biggest Loser. I was, yep. Yeah, so, so about, you yeah, were we, one of the contestants. Yes, we, you and I met in 2007 at the NAR conference. Okay, you, you, you know better than I do. But I'm okay. just saying that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, so I was, I was on The Biggest Loser in 2006. It was season three. Yeah. Um, I lost uh, 116 pounds. So yeah. you know, the, the, the challenge was that I was, number one, losing the weight for the wrong reason. Yeah wanted to win money and I actually gained it all back and then some yeah back to gained I gained all the weight back and then another 90 pounds so uh, I mean I see I watch a lot of shows like I mean the biggest losers one my 600 pound life is another and That's I really really think that the premise of their approach is so backwards and so wrong and so damaging yeah they're fixing they're fixing the wrong problem well but they're not fixing the problem at all yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So the wrong part of program. So you know, to the to the show's credit, um, we did get an exercise program. We did get a very good eating program. We did get a trainer. We also did get a psychologist, mm-hmm. an on-staff psychologist, to work mm-hmm. with us if we needed help. The only problem is, is that it was, it was kind of um, what do they call uh, like doctors aren't preventative these days. They're just um, they're, they're they're after it's like they, they wait until the problem rises and fix the yes. problem arises right. right they're not preventative you know and that's that's kind of that was it, it was uh it was like oh you're, you're you're freaking out you know okay great well let's talk about it right because when you lose your one of your biggest coping mechanisms you know that's when all the you know pandora's box opens and all that stuff right. comes but really oh, right. should, and really what we should be working on is what's going on here because until you fix this nothing else gets better and if i may finish you know, talking with Kelly, she says a lot of people who go through um, bariatric surgery, whatever style they do, she says a lot of them become alcoholics mm-hmm. because number one, they can't get the calories in that they would get before. And if they do eat too much to, to assuage that pain, they get sick. So they can get the calories in, then they can get the alcohol in and they can still make the pain go away without doing it. So a lot of them do turn to alcoholism. So, and there's a significant number of people who actually gain all the weight back after that surgery too. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I've I probably lost hundred pounds. I've got more weight to lose, you know, cause I got up to 480. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm doing it the right way, which is, you know, working on the inside. Yeah. And as I do that, the outside gets better. So working on the inside. Good. Yeah. Wow. It's been amazing. If you had like <laughs> one lesson, one, piece <laughs> of advice, one. You have a million lessons, you have one, one major piece of advice to give mm-hmm. people who maybe not struggling, you know, maybe they didn't get to the place that you got, but they, I find me one person who doesn't have a challenge or a struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What well, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, I can tell you this, it's not going to get better on its own. It never will because it can't. And um, if you ever want to be, completely happy and at peace with life and to live the life you were meant to live to have the business you were meant to have you need to go get some help yeah you just be vulnerable enough to get help and i you know i talk about getting radical right radical honesty radical you know transparency and then radical taking radical responsibility for yourself yeah but you just at some point you got to get radically radically honest and say you know what this is not good right? I'm just not doing well. And these are the reasons I'm not doing well. And then radical transparency is letting people know that, Hey, you know what? I, I'm not bad. I'm not doing well. I did some bad things and I'm sorry about that. And being transparent with people like I did letting it out and then taking radical responsibility. I mean, look, I'm coaching people and helping them 
create the lives of their dreams. And here I am weighing 480 pounds and literally killing myself with a bunch of addictions. And I, right. you know, I had to go and find somebody, you know, I had worked with therapists forever. I just, you know, I met the right one and I was finally ready. And so, yeah. you know, and it's funny because not funny, ironic, peculiar, whatever we want to say, but, you know, I would say for the first six months I worked with her, she would end every session with, do you want to hurt yourself? Mm-hmm. And she says, because if you are, I need to get somebody over to see her. And so there were times when I would, I was like, I, you know, I'd have, she would stay off me. And so I said, no, I'm not going to do it, you know, because I did, I mean, because it was painful. It was horrible. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But if you don't go through the work, it's, it's not going to get any better. And unfortunately, and this is what I've learned is because our brains are self-preservation mechanisms, they, it, your brain wants peace. It wants understanding. It wants clarity. So it's going to continue to bring up all the crap that you've been pushing down. So you deal with it. Yeah. If you don't, that's when you get serious anxiety, serious depression, you get PTSD because it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse until you absolutely have to do it. And unfortunately, you know, some people do what I didn't do, but got close to doing, and they just get so painful. They can't deal with it anymore. They don't want to get, so they end up taking their own life. And that's, nobody should ever have to do that. Yeah. And how do you feel now? Like, do you feel like you're over it all? Do you feel like you're doing Uh, day by day? You know, for being completely transparent, you know, one of the things that I'm still working a lot on, I mean, I'm still, you know, the, the, the food, because the food issue um, has been around the longest, I I still have, I still do some battle with it. You know, I go to Overeaters Anonymous and I'm still working at losing weight and exercising. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit I needed help. And so that's been helpful. Um, And, um, you know, the other thing is, I mean, like, you know, I don't watch pornography anymore. I don't have random sex with people. I have no desire to do that. You know, I'm much better with my money now. I you know, always have money in the bank where before I was making, you know, two, $300,000 a year and I was living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. So those three things are good. But the other thing is, is, you know, I don't know if you know much about sexual abuse, but, and I've learned it myself, when somebody sexually abused a child, they either go and have sex with everybody for validation which is what I did. You know, if you were willing to have sex with me, that told me that you thought I was worth something, even though it was just yeah. sex. Boy, yeah. they run away, they run away from it completely. So, so for me, every relationship I had, you know, started with sex as soon as possible. And I didn't hang around. And because I was emotionally, you know, uh really emotionally unavailable, I, you know, I've never had a really good relationship with a woman before. And I'm, I'm 55 in July. So I know I can now. I've done the work right, but I'm just saying I, you know, I'm gonna. I'm going to go basically be a 16 year old, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? As a 55 year old man, having a relationship with somebody and learning how to, to love and be loved. So that those are probably my two biggest challenges right now, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. But, well, you've come a long way, huh? Yeah. No lie. No lie. And yeah. I'm so grateful so, you reached out. Yeah. So let me, let me wrap up by sharing your impact on me. How's that? I would love I to. Remember, I remember when we spoke, I told you about, I was, um, Climbing is weird for me, but I was working, I had in the past worked with a coach and I was telling you about my coaching experience and how weird and bizarre it was. Uh, I was working with a coach who he would say to me things like, I don't want to hear your stories. Like, don't tell me any of that. And, and he would talk a lot, but I found what he was saying was so different than anything I've ever heard before. I remember like, holding the phone, super pressed to my ear, making sure I didn't miss a word. Um, But anyway, I remember telling you the story of this coach I was working with and you said, hold on a minute. 
I have something for you. I want to give you my book. You gave me a book. And that book was a book by Esther and Jerry Hicks uh, called Ask and You Shall Receive. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Ask and It Is Given. Yep. Ask and It Is Given. Yep. Ask and It Is Given. And I'm like, I thought it was like the weirdest book in the world in the beginning, right? I'm like, why is he giving this to me? But then I realized like once I read the book that the principles they use in the book are really, in my mind, they resonated tremendously. And to a great extent, a lot of my own coaching is informed by those principles. And you had no idea that you left that mark on me. Oh, that's amazing. I appreciate that. And I know you've left your mark on positive mark on thousands of people. You know, you've had, how long have you had frame of mind coaching now? It's got to what, be a decade now, close to it. Eight to 18 years. Oh, 18 years. It started before that. I, but did you start advertising it before? I didn't think you were doing it in, in six months oh, we met. I was, I was doing it in a slightly different way, you know, okay. like things evolve over time. Yep. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's great. Yeah. So you've definitely had a huge impact on people. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm I also think your timing you is that. a little is a little funny. But anyway, I think, you? It could yeah, be. I think we I think we met a, earlier than that. But okay. um, we could have. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's been it's been uh, amazing. I never mm-hmm. forgot you left Thank your you. mark. I always kind of kept my eye on you from the uh, from the side saying, what's up with Wally? What's going on? I hope he's doing well. I'm sorry to say that that there was a period in time where you really weren't doing well. And I'm sorry I was only on the sides. You wouldn't have known because I wasn't going to let you know. You know, a lot. It's funny because when I and thank you for sharing that, that touches my heart. Thank you so much for that. I really does. Um, You know, I. It was funny because I was, and I say funny, it's not funny. It's just ironic. It's peculiar. It just seems, I just say the word, but when I was telling people my story, when I finally, you know, saw, told everybody everything, people were like, I had no clue. Like I, I, I could not tell. And I just, cause I, I wasn't going to let you know. Right. I mean, I just, I couldn't cause yeah. I was so ashamed. And so I just, you know, you didn't know when I was in pain. I mean, I was I was a sad, angry person. And after my dad died, when I was 23, I pretty much thought I was going to die every day for about for the better part of 40, pardon me, uh, 28, almost 30 years. Yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, that's awesome. I'm Hard way to live. Life. Hard way to live. No doubt. No doubt. I was so grateful that you reached out to me or you connected with me. That was awesome. Thank you so much. So for those of you who are listening, two things. Number one is pick up the book again. Mm-hmm. Here it is. It's called Tragic Hero. Mm-hmm. And it's written by Wally Bressler. So look it up. It's on Amazon, I think. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yep. On Amazon. Take a look. It's a really mm-hmm. good, easy read and quite poignant. So take a look mm-hmm. at the book. Thank and the you. second thing is if you are in sales in any way and you're having your own call reluctance and you're struggling to grow mm-hmm. yours, the, your sales, um, reach out to Wally. Maybe he can give you a little help with that too. Yeah, if I may, you know, I, one of the things I've I've committed to doing is being willing to meet with anybody for a half hour mm-hmm. for no cost, just to kind of help them identify where it comes from. Because I think a lot of people don't realize how what happened when they were a kid impacts what they're doing now, you know, yeah. and, and, and things, even, you know, 
really like you don't have to have a complete train wreck of a childhood like I did to have something that have happened that could have seemed so insignificant at the time, but compounded over the time period of your life to the point where it's this like giant sequoia tree that's preventing you. So may I may I just share my website? Is that okay? Yes, please. Yeah. Do. If you, just, please if you do. go to trigger if you go to trigger salesystem.com, trigger salesystem.com, it's right up there. Um, my calendar is there. You can go in and grab a half hour on my calendar. And if you want to find out why for some reason you're not able to get around whatever this block is, let's talk about it. Okay. Amazing. Okay. Thank Pauline, you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And hopefully we won't lose touch again. No, for sure. I don't let's not. <laughs>